Christians have wrestled in two camps. There are those that are worried about orthodoxy or the right belief, and those that are worried about orthopraxy or the right way of living. Our scripture today that Linda is about to read is from the little book of James, and it's one that's known for its focus on orthopraxy, that right way of living. James is the book from the Bible that's often quoted as saying that faith without works is dead. That if we become too worried about thinking the right thing or holding the right belief, but we forget to do the right thing, then we've completely missed the point. I can't help but wonder if our world has recently fallen into a place of deep orthodoxy. We care so much about holding the right belief that sometimes we forget orthopraxy or the right way of living, or really, as people of faith, the right way of loving. We worry about dogma over the doing of good. Our humanness limits us. Our own deep brokenness and the brokenness of the world. And James points to that here within this scripture. What gets in our way of peaceful living and the fullness that God desires for all of us is often, well, ourselves. And we are left asking the question, where does this come from? I love this body. Those are my words, not the Bible's, but I love this body. The words today come from James 4. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock. You, O God, are our Redeemer. Amen. So it might not surprise some of you, but when I was a little girl, I was known for, let's just call it my fiery spirit. <clears throat> Though I'm sure that there were other words that my parents used at various moments in time. I had lots of very strong opinions, and my parents had to deal with a situation or two where my smiley, happy, twirling self would turn into this rage monster, arms flailing, lying on the ground, kicking and screaming and occasionally throwing things. I know it's hard to believe now, but it's true. <laughs> I remember in high school looking one day at a beautiful jade green teapot that had delicately painted dragons and this mountain scene with a little village. And it sat on this bookshelf, and I, 
but I had never seen it before. And I asked my mom, I asked her when she got it, thinking it had been a, a recent purchase. But she told me it was a wedding present from her spunky aunt who lived in Long Island, my great aunt Erica, who is known for driving like in between semi-trucks and traffic. And uh, she had brought it back for them as a wedding gift from an overseas trip. But when she told me this, I was confused. I had been in that living room every day for years, and I had never seen that teapot. When I asked my mom about it, she replied, oh, we put it away until you got a little older and I thought it would be safe. <laughs> the teapot is still in existence, I just wanna say that. As a parent now, I am amazed at my mom's seemingly ever patience. I remember her sitting on the ground a little ways away from me during one of my tantrums, and with her head tilted and a face filled with curiosity, she asked me, where is this coming from? The book of James is inviting Christians to ask this same question, to live lives of introspection. Where does our anger and violence come from, the author asks. And he also replies, this anger and this violence, it often comes from unmet desires. Ruby Sales, a civil rights activist, talks about her work within that movement and an essential question for her being one of understanding. For her, an essential question that is echoed here in the book of James, she asked, where does it hurt? She talked about how all acts of violence stem from this question, from this hurt that we carry with us. And we ask these questions not as a way to excuse or defend or diminish the violence that is created in our world, but so that we might understand. And through our understanding, we might also work to rewrite these deeply ingrained narratives of scarcity, of worthiness, of pain so that we may transform it and transform ourselves and our families and our communities. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands and admit this aloud to anyone else. I'll say I've done it, but how many of you have ever had the experience of telling someone who is very upset, oh, don't worry about that. It's not a big deal. Or well, why haven't you gotten over that yet? That goes over really well, right? <laughs> maybe it's with your children or maybe a spouse or a partner or a friend. How many of you have ever been the recipient of these words? Someone saying this to you and that experience is how belittling or condescending that they can feel. See, so often we choose to judge instead of love. Judgment is an act of orthodoxy, whereas love is the practice of orthopraxy. One is about understanding, and the other is about living and transformational living. But like my mom, gets down on the floor and sits with you in all your anger and grief and asks, where is this coming from? and takes the time to listen. 
In Jesus's life and ministry, he's often not worried about orthodoxy. It's ironic that centuries later, as people of faith who profess his name, we sometimes find ourselves focusing so much on this concept of right belief. In the Gospels, in the Bible, time and time again, Jesus actually focuses, though, on orthopraxy. He actually goes against a lot of the rules of the time. He heals on the Sabbath. He invites tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes to dinner. He enters into theological conversation with women, which at the time was a great taboo. He even goes so far as to say when orthodoxy is not about love, we need to rewrite that, reconsider it. A common refrain seen in the Gospels that Jesus says is, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. You've heard it said by religious leaders, but I say unto you, Jesus claims. Reordering and right-ordering orthodoxy in the world. There is so much that can get in our way of orthopraxy or that right way of living. But often our biggest obstacle is ourselves. Dan and I are so curious to see our daughter's personalities grow and evolve. I'm sure all parents have that experience of wondering who these little people will be in the world. They're still so young and we know we have a long time to go. But Jo, with her big brown eyes and her left-only dimple, is such a relaxed baby. I wanna have a disclaimer, because I've told you she wasn't. She had a colicky phase, we're now over that. She's now a very relaxed baby. And we joke as a family that she's just like her dad, who only needed a fanny pack filled with little boxes of raisins to be content for hours. While our older daughter, Eliza, with her big blue eyes and her wild hair, is a big feeler. She sings and she twirls and she dances. She is such a joy. She invites us to lay on the grass and look up at the leaves in the sky above us. She uh, notices the birds as they flit from tree to tree, and every morning when we serve her Honey Nut Cheerios, she goes, mmm, mmm, so delicious. <laughs> like it's the best breakfast you could have. Being her parent is magical, and there are times when it's hard, often when she is tired or hungry or feeling lonely or left out. And then our sweet little girl, just like her mother before her, kicks and screams and flails. And in all honesty, adult Kendra and Dan, my husband Dan, were not that much different. Minus the physicality of Eliza's reactions when we're stressed or anxious, when we're tired or hungry, when we're lonely or grieving, there are times too when we find ourselves moving from places of compassion to places of judgment, from understanding to grumbling. And these personal stories are just microcosms of the larger world, of the way that violence weaves itself into public policy or the lack thereof. We create a world that responds to our own fears, our own judgments, rather than our own hopes and communal love. I've shared with you all before that while in divinity school, I served at the Congregational Church in Brookfield, Connecticut as a seminary intern. 
Brookfield borders Newtown, Connecticut, and I happened to work there the summer after the Sandy Hook shooting, when the pain and the violence of that event were still so raw. And I remember being at a prayer service where we lifted the names of all those who had died. Some friends and family of children who had passed were there, and, and we prayed for them, and we prayed too, though, for Adam Lanza, the 20-year-old young man who committed those crimes before dying that day too. And I remember being worried when his name was lifted. I worried for the families. But after the service, when I expressed that concern to someone, they said he was in great pain too. And that day we saw the ways that pain beget pain. No one asked him Ruby's question of where does it hurt? And I wonder what could have happened differently if they had. I think of all the pain that exists on the south side of Chicago. I think of the pain that exists as we make public policy on issues around homelessness or immigration or LGBTQ rights. We hear these litanies, though, and sometimes we become overwhelmed catatonic, paralyzed by the enormity of these situations. We might not be able to do everything about the pain that exists in our world, but we can do something, as Pastor Seth invited us to last week. Scripture is often accompanied by a header that gives some clue or inclination about the subject of that text. The header from this passage for from James is, submit yourself to God. Now, the concept of submission is one that most progressive Christian communities sometimes shy away from. But I wonder if James was on to something, if maybe we let go of our rugged independence and affirm our dependence, submitting to God and trusting that we can explore our own pain, the things that motivate our own violence, and that we will not be consumed by it, that God's love can move into those spaces. Maybe we can submit to God and name and own and reckon with unjust and violent systems in our world, daring to choose orthopraxy over orthodoxy, moving into spaces of right living for all folks, and we can look to do these things in big ways. And we can look at making those moves within our heart, within our families, within our communities, this church and the wider Glen Ellen community. We can move from spaces of judgment, of scarcity and insecurity to places where we embody love. Because I believe we can overcome if we are not afraid, and if we trust God to see us through, then friends, we too will truly live in peace. Amen.